this week on Pointing the Way with Pastor Shad Smith. Welcome to Pointing the Way, a ministry of the Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. We pray you will find direction for living as we look into the Word of God today. This morning I'm preaching on this subject, how to stay out of the woodshed. How to stay out of the woodshed. Now some of y'all are nodding and that needs no explanation. Others of you have not a clue what I'm talking about. The woodshed. For those of you that don't know what the woodshed is, it's a place your daddy used to take you to adjust your behavior. The woodshed. Sometimes God has to do for us what our earthly fathers had to do. He has to adjust our behavior. He has to take us to the woodshed. And in this section of the book of Hebrews, the writer has been dealing with the subject of discipline, of chastisement in the life of the child of God. You remember back there in verse 11, he reminded us no chastening for the present time seems to be joyous. I'll say amen right there. I never liked being chastised. When I was a boy, I did everything I could to avoid a whipping. Somebody say amen. Right as much as we could. If you enjoyed getting whippings, your mind don't work right. We shouldn't enjoy that. And so I did everything I knew to do to keep from getting a whipping. And that was way back then, and here I am all these years later. And you know what I've learned? I've learned that as a child of God, you never get too old to be taken to His woodshed. God is going to discipline His children when we get out of line. Thankfully, the same chapter that warns us of God's discipline also tells us how to stay out of the woodshed. If you don't like getting whipped, you'll listen to the message today. In these verses, the writer of Hebrews gives us three imperatives, three things that we need to do, and if you will do these three things, you will stay out of God's woodshed. You will stay in good standing with your Heavenly Father. You need to pay close attention. These three things will not only keep you out of the woodshed, but they will also help you to live a life that glorifies God and a life that testifies of the uh, grace of God to other, to other people. So, so these three things pay close attention to and you'll stay out of God's woodshed. Let me give them to you. You might mark these down. Take notes if you want to today. I'll give them to you as we go along. Number one, first of all, to stay out of the woodshed, we need to adopt the necessary pursuit. Adopt the necessary pursuit. What is the pursuit? Well, look at verse number 14. He says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Verse 14 tells us to follow peace with all men and holiness. That word follow peace means to pursue peace. That's a strong word there. Pursue it. Go after it. 
You go after when you pursue something, you go after it with the intent that you're going to lay hold of it. And that's how we ought to pursue peace and holiness. We go after it with the intent to lay hold on peace and to lay hold on holiness. So he uses that word follow, pursue. Let me give you an example of the type of pursuit he's talking about. For example, uh, a law officer may be in pursuit of a suspect, pursuit of, a, of somebody that's broken the law. Now, when a law officer is in pursuit of a suspect, he doesn't just coast along and hope that he catches him. That, that, it doesn't happen that way. No, when a law officer is in pursuit, often we call it hot pursuit. Hot pursuit. I, I remember my favorite uh, law officer. Uh, he, not, well, I got two favorites. So Barney Fife. He, he didn't get in hot pursuit of anybody because he didn't drive the patrol car much. But uh, uh, do, do you remember on the Dukes of Hazard? You, you remember that that uh, that motley crew of law enforcement geniuses on that show? Uh, I, I love old Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane. And old Roscoe, he'd get on the horn, he'd say, I'm in hot pursuit of them Duke boys. And you know what he meant when he was in hot pursuit? He meant he had his siren on, his lights were going, his pedal was to the metal, he was going after it with all he had. He was pursuing hot pursuit. Keep that idea in your mind as we read verse 14. Follow or pursue peace and holiness. As children of God, we ought to be in hot pursuit of some things. When we were lost, we were in hot pursuit of sin. We were in a, a bad way to get ourselves into trouble. But now because we've been changed by the good grace of God... We're in hot pursuit of something altogether different. We're pursuing things that are right, things that please the Lord. We will glorify God by pursuing peace and holiness. He tells us these two things every child of God needs to pursue in his or her life. First of all, pursue peace with all men. Pursue peace. And what he's saying there is that all of our human relationships ought to be lived out in peace with other people. It ought to be the desire of every child of God to live at peace with his brothers and sisters, at peace with his neighbors, at peace with his family. It ought to be the desire of every child of God to never be a source of conflict. Let me say that again. I want y'all to lay hold on this. It ought to be the desire of every child of God to not be the source of conflict anywhere at any time. It ought not to be a source of conflict. You, if there's a problem in your family, it ought not to be because of you. If there's a problem down at the workplace because you're a child of God, you ought not to be the problem. And in the house of God, God help us to learn this and live by it in the church. We ought not to be a source of conflict, ever. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. What is that one thing that marks you as a child of God? That you're not a troublemaker. That you're not a conflict stirrer. That you're not a problem causer. 
No, we're, we're problem solvers, ladies and gentlemen, not problem causers. We're peacemakers. Now, that means that we ought to strive to get along with other people. And let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you have to compromise your convictions to get along. Some people say, oh, we ought to just go along to get along. I don't buy that at all. I don't think you have to go along to get along. You can get along to get along. You get along with people best you can. You don't compromise your convictions. Uh, you don't say what's wrong is right or what's right is wrong just so you can be in, in fellowship with somebody. You stand always stand on the side of what's right. But we should always strive to be at peace with all men. Paul said the same thing in Romans 12. He said, if it is possible, as much as life in you, Romans 12, 18, if it's possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, there's some folks you can't live peaceably with. Amen. There's just some folks you can't get along with. I don't care how much you try. Because some people just don't want to be at peace. They've got so much turmoil on the inside of their life, they like to get it out and all over you and everybody else. They're just not happy unless they're in a mess. Any of y'all ever met anybody like that? Don't look at your neighbor right now, just look at me. Anybody ever met anybody like that? Just always a conflict. There's a, there's a conflict on the inside of them. It's always getting on the outside of them. What do you do when you run into people like that? People you can't have peace with. Well, I, here's what I do. I just stay away from them. If there's somebody you can't live peaceably with, just stay away from them. You say, well, if I'm married to them, <laughs> well, then, then get some help for your marriage. But everybody else, as far as that's concerned, everybody except for your wife, except for your husband, stay away from them if you can't live peaceably with them. God's people ought to pursue peace. There's never an excuse for God's people to ever be rude or unkind. Uh, years ago, my boy worked at a at a restaurant over in Center, Alabama, and about one, once a month, he'd have to work on a Sunday. And uh, he said, oh, I hate working on a Sunday. I said, oh, you hate missing church, don't you? I said, he said, well, yeah, Daddy, I hate missing church. He said, but that's not the real reason I hate working on Sunday. I said, why is that? He said, I don't like that crowd. I said, what crowd? He's waiting tables. He said, that church crowd. I said, what's wrong with the church crowd? And you'd have to be a waiter to understand this. He said, that's the cheapest, rudest bunch of people that visit this restaurant all week. And I thought to myself, what an awful, poor testimony for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's people ought never to be rude. Don't be rude. Don't be rude. And don't be cheap. Leave a good tip. I, I say that for all the waiters in the building, all right? Leave a good tip. Don't, don't be rude. Call a peace. With all men. If you watch how our Lord interacted with other people, Jesus was nothing, ever nothing less than a perfect gentleman. Even when he disagreed with people, he was always a perfect gentleman. We don't, we don't hear that, that word much anymore, do we? Gentlemen. Ladies. Young ladies, you ought to grow up and want to be a lady for the glory of God. Young men, grow up and be a gentleman for the glory of God. Pursue peace, follow peace with all men. You see, now that you've gotten saved, uh, you're an ambassador for Jesus. You represent Jesus on this earth. And Jesus takes it very seriously when you misrepresent him. So if you don't follow peace with all men, seeing as how you and I are ambassadors of Christ, when we're not following peace, Jesus will say, I've got to set that in line in your life. And how does he set us in line? He takes us out back to that old-fashioned woodshed where he adjusts our behavior. 
So ladies and gentlemen, if you don't want to get your behavior adjusted by Jesus, if you want to stay out of the woodshed, follow peace with all men and God's people said, Amen. Uh, there's a second part of the verse that we need to pursue. And uh, it says that we are to pursue peace, and then he says, and holiness. Now, that word just by itself scares some Baptist folks to death. You start talking holiness, you start thinking we're fixing to go fanatical. Ain't nothing wrong with living right. Nothing wrong with holiness. And holiness is not a bad word. Somebody say amen. Nothing wrong with being holy. In fact, holiness is so important, he tells us at the end of verse 14, without which... No man shall see the Lord. You can't see God apart from holiness. And, and the truth is, none of us have any holiness apart from Jesus. Christ is our righteousness. And so you better have the righteousness of Christ, the holiness of Christ, put on your account, or the Bible says you're not going to heaven. You've got to have holiness to see God. That's how important holiness is. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You got to be holy to see God. You say, "Well, I ain't holy." Uh, then you got to get the one that is holy living on the inside of you. That's your holiness, Jesus. And when you get saved, God puts His holiness right there on the inside of your life. You're holy in your position. Now, I, I'm not perfect by any means, but as God looks at me, positionally speaking, I'm holy. I'm holy, and I'm going to heaven one day because I've got the holiness. Of Jesus, I'm positionally in Christ when I got saved. Thinking about holiness, however, in verse 14, the writer of Hebrews is not talking about that positional holiness. I mean, for you see, if you've been saved, positionally speaking, you are, you're already holy in the eyes of God. So you can't be pursuing that if, you, if you're already there in the eyes of God. What he's talking about pursuing here is practical holiness. Practical holiness. What's practical holiness? It's called sanctification. It's called living for God. Living out what's on the inside. Living that out day to day. Well, we're to live in such a way that we uh, live out the righteousness that's on the inside of us. The word sanctified means to be set apart. Uh, to be used for the glory of God. And the writer of Hebrews says here, now we need to be pursuing peace with other men and pursuing holy living. Holiness, sanctification. In other words, he said we ought to be in hot pursuit this week of living like a child of God. Living like a child of God. We need to be living right. We need to be in hot pursuit of that. And if we choose not to live right, God takes responsibility for that. What does God do when one of his children get out of line? He takes them where? Back to the woodshed. And he adjusts their behavior to get them back in line. If you want to avoid that, you need to be pursuing a right relationship with God. There are two relationships you need to have right if you're not going to go to the woodshed. Follow peace with all men, your relationships with each other, and holiness, your relationship to God. Have this relationship right here between you and God right, and have your relationship with other people right, and you'll stay out of the woodshed. Just those two little things. And I'll make it even easier than that. As I understand it, Brother Les, there's really only one of those you've got to worry about. You say, well, it says do two of them. 
Yeah, but there's only one of them you've got to worry about. You do that one, the other one will take care of itself. What is that? Holiness. You get that relationship right between you and God. All these other relationships out this way are going to be right. Are you following me? Boy, that's good. That's going to help some of y'all today. That's going to help me. If you get this relationship, the vertical relationship right, all the horizontal relationships are going to work right. You say, i got trouble in my marriage. That's because either you or her or both of you don't have that relationship right there right. You say, i got trouble with my kids. Either you or your kids don't have that relationship right. You say, i got trouble down there with a co-worker. Either you or that co-worker or both of you don't have that relationship right there right. You say, well, what, are, what, if, what if they're not saved? Then you're the one that's got to have that relationship right. You say, well, I've got that relationship right between me and God, and I still can't get along with the co-worker. It says if it's possible, live peacefully. I've already told you what to do then. If you can't get along with them, stay away from them. Stay away from them. So pursue holiness. If you'll pursue holiness, those relationships with other people will be right. That's going to keep you out of the woodshed. Now, God knows you and I still live in a sinful body. God knows that we're tempted... Uh, uh, and we're prone to getting ourselves into trouble. So God's gone a step further here to help us with this Christian life. He's going to help us do what's necessary to avoid chastisement. You see, remember last week, this hurts him more than it hurts us, the chastisement thing. So he's going to help you stay out of the woodshed if you listen to him. And that brings us to the second thing that he shows us. To stay out of the woodshed, number two, we need to appropriate the necessary provision appropriate the necessary provision. You see, God has given you and I the necessary provision to live the Christian life the right way. It's just that some believers don't appropriate that provision and they end up making a mess and they end up staying in the woodshed all the time. Verse 15, look at it with me. It tells us, number one, to be looking diligently. Uh, now, he's just told us to follow peace with all men and holiness. And then he says in verse 15, looking diligently. That means we need to see to it that's what looking diligently means. Just see to it, look diligently, see to it that you pursue peace and holiness. Now watch this. If you don't, it says, lest any man fail the grace of God. Lest any man fail the grace of God. Now I'm going to tell you before I get into this, that little phrase right there, may be the most difficult phrase in all the book of Hebrews. That may be the, the, the most difficult little passage of Scripture. But I'm going to tell you what I believe it means. What I believe it means and why I believe that. If I keep that little verse in context, when we keep it in context, it means that you and I don't need to fail to appropriate the provision God has made to help us live right. We don't need to fail to appropriate the provision God has made to help us live right. What has God given us to help us live right? Well, look at the verse. Lest any man fail, fail of the grace of God. What has God given us to help us live right? He's given us grace. Grace. Now, when we think about the grace of God, our mind always goes to Calvary. Our mind always goes to getting saved because we are saved 
by grace. So we think, well, I, if I don't, if I want the grace of God, I got to go get saved. Well, what if you're already saved? What if you, what if you're already saved? Well, you still need the grace of God. You see, we need to remember grace doesn't stop working for you the day you get saved. The day you get saved is the day that grace starts working for you. It starts working for you, and it works for you from the day you get saved throughout the rest of your entire life. God gives us grace to help us live a life that glorifies Him. But sometimes we ignore that grace. We fail it. Like the writer of Hebrews says, we fall short of it and we make a mess of our lives. What happens when we make a mess of our lives and fail or neglect the grace of God? We go back to the woodshed. Now God has given us grace to keep us out of the woodshed. How do we appropriate grace? You say, well, okay, I need to appropriate grace in my life to stay out of the woodshed. I want to avoid God's discipline, so I need to appropriate grace. How do I appropriate grace? Well, it's real simple. you got to understand what grace is, first of all. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is God giving you something you did not deserve. Thus, salvation is the grace of God, right? Other than our salvation, in the Christian life, what has God given you and I that we do not deserve? Well, first of all, He has given us two things. He has given us the Word of God, and He has put on the inside of us the Spirit of God. Two things you and I do not deserve after we get saved. Two things God has graced us with. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. The Word of God is the road map. The Spirit of God is that like that little voice on your GPS that says, Turn here, turn here, make a U-turn, approach with caution, uh, you, you redirecting. You know that little voice on, on the, that tells you and prompts you to do everything that the road map says? That's the role of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, you and I don't deserve either of those. In fact, we neglect both of them more than they should be neglected, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. But He has graced our lives by giving us something we don't deserve, the Word of God the Spirit of God. So if those are the two graces in our lives, just two of the main ones, how do we appropriate that into our life? How do we appropriate this necessary provision to stay out of woodshed? Well, it's very simple. How do I appropriate the Word of God? Any kid could tell you how to appropriate the Word of God. You read it, and then do what it says. And you'll stay out of trouble. Isn't that so simple? You read it, and obey it, and do what it says. Now, if you never read the Bible, you're failing to appropriate something God has given you to live the Christian life. You're failing to appropriate the grace of God if you never read the Bible. How do I appropriate the Spirit of God? Well, you appropriate the Spirit of God by yielding to Him and listening to Him. When you're about to do something that is contrary to the Word of God, do you ever notice how the Spirit of God has a way of ringing that little bell called your conscience? 
And he rings that little alarm in your heart and mind called the conscience by which he shows you, "Uh uh-uh, you're getting out of line. You're about to do something that I told you not to do in the Word. And there you come to the crossroads and you say, well, I can do it and go to the woodshed or I can listen to my little alarm being rung by the Holy Spirit and I yield to that and appropriate that grace. You see, we don't deserve for Him to warn us like that. He ought to just let us go and make a mess in our life, but He doesn't. He shows us grace. He says, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're about to take a wrong road. Let me save you some time and trouble. Turn right here. Now, if we'll, if we'll listen to and appropriate God's grace, you following me? We'll live right. What happens if I don't read the Word of God and obey the Word of God? I fail to appropriate His grace. What happens if I don't yield to the Spirit of God and fail to appropriate His grace? Oh, I'm going to get myself in trouble. And what happens, church, when we get ourselves in trouble? We've got to go back where? To the woodshed. And so God has given us the necessary provision because He don't like whipping you. He doesn't like whipping you. So He gives you the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and if you'll appropriate those provisions in your life, you will stay out of the woodshed. Now, there's a third thing. That if you'll do this, you'll stay out of the woodshed. Number three, we need to address the necessary precaution. Address the necessary precaution. God has not only made provision for you to live the Christian life by gracing it with the Word of God and the Spirit of God, but He's also given us some precautions to help us avoid trouble spots. I want you to think of these next verses, verse 16 and 17. Think of these next verses kind of like a a warning from somebody that's already been down the road and they know where all the potholes are and they call you back and they say, hey, be careful when you come around that curve, there's a real bad pothole. You blow out a tire there. Or be careful when you get to that intersection, there's a real bad pothole over there on the right. You're going to, you're going to, uh, you're going to knock your car out of line. You're going you're gonna to run off the road if you hit that thing. Watch out for it. He's trying to help us avoid some things that will hinder us. First of all, he says in verse 15, Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now, there's two potholes on this road that he warns us about, that he cautions us about. And he's going to warn us about these two potholes. Why? Because he wants us to stay on the road. Because as long as we're on that straight and narrow road, going the direction we're supposed to be going, we're not making the trip back to where? The woodshed. All right? Well, Brother Larry Carlin, he always, he's always with me on the woodshed when I ask. He must have went to the woodshed a whole lot growing up. He knows all about it. God doesn't want you to go to the woodshed. So he tells us these two potholes to avoid to keep us on the road to keep us out of the woodshed. The first pothole is bitterness. Say that with me. Bitterness. Bitterness. Brother Liz preached on this at camp. Bitterness is something that can grow in your life and ruin your Christian testimony. At the end of verse 15, 
He says that many be defiled by bitterness. I've watched that verse play itself out. I've seen it happen in families. Oh, it's sad when you see it happen in a church. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in the church. One person over here, they get irritated. Something somebody over there has done. They feel like they've been done wrong. And maybe they have been done wrong. I don't Then they start to get bitter. Let me tell you why they get bitter. You get bitter because rather than dealing with problems the way a man or a woman of God should do, they just skew over it. Skew over it. Rather than work to find reconciliation, they just rather leave it alone. Because you see, by leaving it alone, they got something they can talk about now with everybody. They got some reason that they're a victim now. You know, we got this problem, I think it's always been. People just like it when they're the victim. Understand? You see all these commercials now? I was watching TV this week, watching the news. News went off uh, uh, for the commercial break, came back. I counted in, in a five-minute news break, five of these ambulance-chasing lawyer commercials. We got this one guy over in Alabama, Alexander Shinara. He, that joker must spend $2 trillion a year on advertising. I'm talking about he's got 14 billboards every, every two miles. Okay, you know, you know what he's playing on? He's playing that most people want to be the victim. They want to be the victim. They want to have something they can hold over somebody else. That's just old pride. That's pride. That's giving you the upper hand without having to do anything to earn it. Okay? And so, naturally, because people just naturally want to be a victim, it's easy to get done wrong, and rather than deal with it so you're not a continual victim, you skew over it. You get bitter over it. And when that happens in a family, or especially in a church, there's not a more sickening disease in a church than for a person to get bitter in a congregation. People will start talking about it, and pretty soon... Just like the writer of Hebrews says, many be defiled. It'll destroy a family. It'll destroy a church. It'll bring God's discipline into the lives of all who give it place. Bitterness. Now, I want to encourage you this morning to avoid the pothole of bitterness at all costs. Listen, if you got something wrong with somebody, if somebody has done something to you, Go to them. Matthew 18 says, you go to them. You say, well, I didn't do anything. Why should I initiate reconciliation? Let me ask you, when you got saved, God initiated reconciliation, and He didn't do anything wrong either. So when somebody does you wrong, go to them. Be reconciled. Don't go to everybody else. Go to them. Somebody say amen. Go to them. If you let it go, unresolved, you'll get bitter. And when you get bitter, you've just won yourself a quick trip back to the woodshed. God says, avoid the pothole of bitterness. You can avoid that by, by, just, by just reconciling your differences living peaceably with all men, and when, it, when the peace gets out of kilter, get it back in kilter. Go, go work it out. Maybe somebody, somebody today, you've been done wrong. 
You've been done wrong. And you've let bitterness build up down there in your heart. Here's what you need to do, do today. You need to ask, number one, God to forgive you of the bitterness. And then for God to forgive you of the unforgiveness. And ask God to give you a spirit of forgiveness. You listening to me? Ask God to help you forgive. You say, I, I can't forgive. Oh, listen, you can't, but He can. And He's living down on the inside of you. And if you'll pursue that holiness, you remember that holiness, that, that part of God on the inside of you, you pursue that with Him, what's going to happen to all these other relationships? They're going to get right. They'll get right. You say, well, I don't want to get right with my neighbor. Then you can't be right with God. And when you're not right with God, where are you going, church? Back to the woodshed. He's telling us how to avoid a whipping. Stay out of the pothole of bitterness. Listen to verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Now, <laughs> this verse right here, I, I, spent a, I spent a whole day almost on this verse. But as I come down to understanding this verse 16, the pothole here that we need to avoid is the pothole of worldliness. Worldliness. And he uses the perfect example of worldliness there in verse 16. Esau. Esau is the perfect personification of worldliness. You remember the story of Esau? All Esau was concerned with were, were the things of the world. He didn't want any spiritual blessing. He just wanted, when he got hungry, he wanted a bowl of soup. Something to fill his belly. He didn't want anything, any kind of blessing. He didn't want to live by faith. He had to have something he could see. He had to have something he could touch. He had to have something that filled a momentary desire. And ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's the perfect definition of worldliness. Something that requires no faith. Something you can see, feel, and touch and fulfills a momentary desire. Esau's the perfect example of the man who doesn't live by faith and he lives a worldly life. It's interesting that his brother, Jacob, as much of a rascal as he is, he got right with God and he's listed in chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith. Esau gets left out of the Hall of Faith and he's listed in chapter 12 as the perfect definition of worldliness. Worldliness. He was so hungry he traded his brother the birthright for the bowl of soup. His belly got full, but it didn't stay full. He got hungry again, and then he realized what an idiot he had been. What a fool he had been in selling his birthright. And so he tried to reverse the horrible decision he made. But verse 17 tells us he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Esau tried to get Isaac to change his mind, but what was done was done. You know, Jesus said in the Gospels, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Esau chose worldly things over the things of God. And once he realized his foolish choice, he cried over it, but he, he never repented because he never hated his sin. He just was sorry he made a bad decision in life. His tears were not enough. 
even cry tears. Tears are not enough to signal repentance. Repentance means you turn around. If, if, I, if I'm headed home this evening and I get down there to Rock Mart to where I have to turn on 278 there, uh, let's say I come through Rock Mart and I have to turn on 278 and go back toward the house, well, I, I can miss my turn there and keep going on 101 and end up in Rome, crying all the way to Rome. Repentance is not how much I cry. Repentance is if I turn around and go back and get on the right road. You follow me? You can cry all the way to the wrong place. That's what Esau did. He was worldly. He was worldly. Jesus said, it doesn't profit you to gain the whole world if you're losing your soul. Worldliness is a pothole the child of God needs to avoid. You, you see, uh, the sad truth about some Christians is they commit the sins of worldliness and bitterness and they don't repent. Repent. God says to repent of the sins of worldliness and bitterness. Our lives ought to be uh, different from the world. We, know, we ought to say no to the, to the draw and the drag of this world. I'm telling you, there, there's a worldly uh, appeal out there in front of all of us to want the things of the world. Uh, young people, I challenge you, especially as you go back to school this new year, uh, avoid the, uh, the temptation of worldliness. Uh, the, the, world, the world says, drink like us and listen to our music and, and, and wear the clothes that we wear. Now, I'm not against, I'm not against fashion. I'm, I'm talking about your, 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 the, the mark of your dress and your attitude and your walk and your conduct and your behavior. And not just for them, but, but it's a good talk for everybody. Not to be worldly. Worldly. Avoid it. Avoid it. It's a pothole. It'll knock you off the road and get you a quick trip back to the woodshed. Two potholes. Bitterness. Worldliness. A lot of Christians commit those two sins. They don't repent. They hold grudges. In bitterness, they seek things that they have no business seeking. Worldliness, things that have no eternal value. Try to live on with that unconfessed sin in their life. And then what happens? God chases them. They bring God's discipline into their life. Listen, your life in my life as children of God does not have to be spent out back in the woodshed all the time. God has given us the graces, the Spirit of God, the Word of God to keep us out of there. God has given us the warnings, what potholes to avoid to keep us out of the woodshed. He's done everything He can do except live your life for you. You say, if He would only do that, I'd be all right. Oh, listen to me. If you'll yield yourself and die to yourself, guess what he will do? He'll live your life for you, too. He'll live your life for you. There's no reason why we ought to be disciplined. No reason any of us should have to go to God's woodshed if we'll appropriate what God has given us. Keep your account short with God. I'll tell you how, what I do on a daily basis to try to stay out of God's woodshed. Every morning I open my time of prayer. I just quote Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 back to the Lord. 
Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way that is everlasting. The implication of these verses is very, very clear. He's been talking about discipline. And now, at the end of the chapter, he showed us how to avoid it. How to avoid it. Now, you can choose today, if you're living with the sins of worldliness and bitterness, if you're not living at peace with men and living and pursuing sanctification, holiness in your life, you can choose to go to God's worship. But only a fool would. Do you know how God disciplines his children? God finds whatever method gets your attention. And God uses that. <laughs> you know, some of you growing up, um, your, your parent, if they were a good disciplinarian, they learned very quickly what method of discipline worked best on you. Uh, two things didn't. Two things that straightened me up real quick: a switch and a belt. A switch and a belt. Now, my mother, God bless her, she, she's still. I was always taller than her. And early on, I used to have boys and girls when I was a boy, and I say this like I'm eight. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm 42 years old, but in my lifetime, the things that we did to amuse ourselves and what y'all do to amuse yourself, it blows my mind the radical difference. We used to have what was called a bolo paddle. And it was a little paddle, looked almost like a ping pong paddle, and it had a long rubber band on it and a rubber ball. And for hours, I just, I could do that all day. Just like that. Any of y'all remember? 99 cents. Keep y'all busy. We've got to buy y'all a $900 Xbox. We've got a 99-cent Bobo paddle at, at the Big Apple Grocery. And that's what, and when it broke, it made a great paddle. Or so Mama thought. But it was made out of this little thin wood. And it had so much surface that it, it caught a lot of drag on it. So, I mean, it was it was done slow by the time it got to you. Whooping spot, you know? And so, it never could scare me. She pulled that, that bolo paddle out. And finally, I guess her and Daddy got together and got to talking about that. And Daddy said, you're going to have to drop that bolo paddle and get a switch. And, brother, that got my attention. I didn't like the switch. I didn't like the belt. Some of y'all, some of y'all, and I'm not endorsing beating or child abuse. That, that's not it. But some of y'all don't know that glad sound of a belt coming through. Look, it's like a machine gun. Oh, goodness. It was, it was the pain before the pain. And one, one of those, and it got your attention. It just got, I'm just talking about physical discipline in my own life. Listen, what I tell you that to, to tell you. God may use the bolo paddle, but if it doesn't work, God's going to pull out the belt. And God's going to use 
what's precious and dear to you to get your attention. Because what is God trying to do? Terrorize you? No. Get you on the path that you need to be on? Yes. And if he can't get it by just telling you, he's going to tell you louder. And he'll get louder and louder until he gets your attention. If God's speaking loudly to you, listen. Obey him. You're his responsibility. He's not going to quit. Thank you for joining us today. Pointing the Way is a ministry of Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. If you would like to contact the ministry, you may write Pointing the Way, 120 Northside Church Road, Dallas, Georgia, 30132. Or visit us on the web at www.northsidedallas.com. Until next time, open God's Word to point the way for direction in your life.